Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Monday, November the 28th, 2022. It is currently 3.37 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas, where currently it's like 71 degrees outside. The sun is shining. There's not a cloud in the sky. It is beautiful. It is awesome. It is wonderful. It's what a November day should be. If you're somewhere where it is snow and cold, that is a sign that you live in the wrong place. All right. It should be like this every day of the year. It, it should be, except I do prefer when it's raining. I, I, I would, I, it, it could rain every day, but no, not cold, not ice, not snow. No, that, that is just no. That's just a no. All right. So it's a beautiful day outside. But even though it's a beautiful day outside, it's it's stormy here inside this studio. It's stormy, number one, because what well, we've been having some internet issues. That always causes to that always tosses me from one end of the room to the other. That 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 I do not like the turbulence of internet connection. I do uh, I do not like when there's problems with it. I want it to work smoothly. So we've had that, but we have something else going on that's really become kind of a big storm that is tossing us to and fro with every wind of doctrine. And I know it is my responsibility to equip you so that you are not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. But I think, I, I really believe this. I know many may have a different philosophy here. Here's my hypothesis. I don't believe you can ever be truly grounded and not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine until you have been tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. I, I know that goes against the popular, the popular perception and theory. The popular theory is, no, no, here's a new Christian. You say, believe this, believe this, believe this, believe this, believe this. You got it. Don't forget it. Now you'll never be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. And what you're supposed to do is just say, okay, I, I remember the, I remember the answer, pastor. I remember I'm not going to be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. And basically it leads to don't question anything. Don't think about anything. Just memorize this. And, and this is always the answer. And I reject that idea. I, I personally think the only way that you can stop being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine is you have to first be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. You got to struggle. You got to have doubt. You got to have confusion. You got to struggle and stumble through it. And then when finally you finally work your way through it, when you're all said and done, you're like, whoo, man, that was a bad storm. That was insane. That was intense. But man, if that storm ever comes again, I, I'm, I won't even be bothered by it. I won't even be moved by it because I've gone through it. I've gone through it. I know that I, I, I'm all, I can already hear people online disagreeing with me going, that's ridiculous. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'm sorry. I just think that's the only way it works. Either you just, someone tells you the answer and you memorize the answer but I think the minute you start questioning and doubting and struggling, you're going to be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. And it's only after you're thrown about that you find some sense of security. I, I wish it was different, but I just don't think, I think the other way just leads to no, it's just like you're memorizing 
answers. And I, I, I just, I just don't think it works that way. I think you have to struggle. And we're, we're kind of finding ourselves in the midst of a, a little struggle here, a little storm here. And it's been absolutely crazy. So let me put it all back together for you. All right. Are you ready? Because this has taken so many odd directions and it's taken another weird turn, a turn that I would have never predicted. I would not have predicted this turn. Actually two, this has already had two major plot twists and we haven't even gotten too far into this study. Let's remind us what happened. Two, three in the morning, sometime last week, I'm listening to podcast. I hear the late Adrian Rogers preaching on practice the presence of God from Exodus 33 and 34, right? I start listening to just a little bit of it. I'm like, save it. I bring it up here to the studio and we do two hours of review on his two-part message on practice the presence of God, all right? And what we discovered was an absolute mess. It was, I, what he did with the scriptures there, I'm still just baffled by. It's just so confusing, so he takes Exodus 33 and 34, and basically his thesis is this. Moses experienced the presence of God, and the presence of God was so great, his face was glowing. But somehow, Moses lost the presence of God. He lost that conscious pre presence of God, and his face stopped glowing, but he kept a veil on to deceive everyone so they wouldn't know that he lost the veil of God. He lost the glow of God, so he kept the veil on, but we're going to learn how we get it back. When you lose it, how you get it back. Now, he never demonstrated from the text, and I'm still waiting for someone to email me. No one has emailed me yet. I've left it for everyone to look up and tell me, show me in Exodus 33 and 34, where did Moses lose the glow? Why did he keep the veil on to hide it? And how did he get it back? And so far, no one has sent me one email in regards to this. It has to be somewhere in Exodus 33 and 34 because that was Pastor Adrian Rogers' entire premise. His entire thesis is on that. Now, is it there? Is it not there? I'm not telling you one way or the other. I want you to look, all right? So that was already bizarre because you're like, so so he got it, but he lost it. And then, then when Adrian Rogers proceeded to tell us how to get it back, he didn't go to the text after supposedly Moses lost it, in fact, he never even took us to the text that indicated Moses lost it. He never even took us to the text to indicate that Moses was deceiving everyone by keeping the veil on. He didn't even bother to show us that. He goes to text before Moses' face even started glowing and saying, here are the steps we have to take to get the presence of God. And it's things like you have to be determined, you have to prepare, you have to isolate. And it basically turned into you need a daily quiet time. And if you do your daily quiet time the right way, you can get the glow, right? So it's like you have to do it, 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 you have to do it. Now, what's bizarre, this is one of the major plot twists, is in our work on Exodus 33 and 34, you'll need to go listen to the Today's Focus podcast series, we kind of discovered the whole reason God's presence was there was not because of what Moses was doing or not doing, and it had nothing to do with what Israel was doing or not doing, that the reason God's presence was there because they had found grace in the eyes of God. And what we and the the thesis I put forth this morning in the in the broadcast we did, again, today's focus, we, we don't have time to exegete everything, but I just put forth the idea that the reality is 
the, the presence was there. They found grace in the eyes of God. And that means God gave them his grace, not based on what they have done. When you find grace in the eyes of God, it's because God sovereignly gives you his grace, not because you earn it, not because you deserve it. And we found that all in Exodus chapter 33. Let me just, I'm going to go back. I know I'm going to repeat a little bit what I did this morning, but it's just so important. All right, Exodus chapter 33. If you know Exodus 33, God tells Israel, hey, go into the land. I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to send an angel before you to drive out all the people. You've got it. I'm going to keep my covenant. I'm going to keep my promise. But here's the thing. I can't go with you. I can't go with you. You are a stiff-necked people. I cannot go with you. Go, but I can't go with you, but I'm going to send the angel. However, very uh, later on in Exodus 33, even though God is not in the midst of Israel, he's still outside the camp in the tabernacle. But then Moses is like, Lord, look, 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 we got to talk. Yes, you're sending an angel before us. Yes, you're going to give us the land. Yes, you're in the tabernacle outside the camp, but who's going to go with us? Who's going to go with us? And I think what Moses is trying to say and trying to indicate in his prayer here is he's concerned. He wants God to be with them. So we pick up the the the, the text in Exodus uh, chapter 33, verse 12. And Moses said unto the Lord, See thou, sayest unto me, bring up this people, and thou hast not let me known whom thou wilt send with me. Hey, but you, you say to bring up the people, but you haven't told me who you're going to send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. All right. you, you haven't told me who's going to go with me, but you have let me know that, as, as Moses said, that you know me by name and that I have found grace in your sight. Now, Moses didn't find grace in the sight of God because Moses did wonderful things, but because God sovereignly chose Moses out of an act of grace, not because Moses was the best person, the right person, or the most godly person. It's, again, a sign of sovereign grace. Verse 13, Moses continues, Now, therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me thy way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. If I have found grace in your sight, right? If I have found it, well, let me, in a sense, find it right now in this present situation. And don't forget your people. Let me, in a sense, let me and the people find grace in your sight right now because we need you to go with us. Again, he's, his exact words were, uh, uh, now, therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight. Find grace in this situation. God won't go up with them in, in, in the midst. Let me find grace here and then consider that this nation is your people. Don't forget this nation. They're your people. Let them find grace in your sight. So then what, what does God do? And he said, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. Wait, God's like, go, I won't go, but now I'll go. What changed? It's, it's not that anything changed in God. What he's trying to demonstrate is you're a stiff-necked people. I should not go with you. I shouldn't have anything to do with you because I will consume you. But based on grace, I will go with you. Letting them know that God's presence with them wasn't because they were the most godly, the most powerful, the smartest, 
No, God was going with them in spite of their sin, in spite of their shortcomings, in spite of their weaknesses. He was going because of grace. Then look at what verse 16. For wherein, all right, uh, okay, oh, I'm sorry. Then uh, Moses says in verse 15, he said unto him, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. Hey, if you're not going with us, I don't want to go. I ha- you have to be with us. Verse 16, and then we'll look at what Moses says. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? How is it going to be known that we have found grace in your sight? How are we going to know that we have found grace in your sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and the people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. The way people are going to know we found grace is not in our actions and what we do, because Israel's going to fall short over and over and over and over. They're going to sin, they're going to sin, and they're going to sin and they sin. But you know how they're going to know? Because God is with them as an act of grace. Verse 17, and the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. The reason I'm going to do this, the reason I'm going to go, is because you found grace. Now, that's a beautiful story. What I'm still trying to process even today, and I'm so very, very frustrated, is those two sermons we listened to and we reviewed from Adrian Rogers, he literally destroyed the story. He didn't make it about God's grace. He made it about Moses's actions. So the way he basically put it, you want God's presence, you do A, B, C, D, E, F. I can't remember how many things he said. It's prepare or no, determine, prepare, isolate, I can't, expect. There was like five or six things. Six things we have to do. If you want the presence of God, if you want to keep the presence of God, if you want to get the presence of God, it's what you do. But the whole story is the reason they got the presence of God is not because of what they did, but because of God's grace. How can a story that be that's about God's grace can be taken by a preacher and turned into what we should and shouldn't do. That you talk about a plot twist. That that is that that's been the most fascinating thing and a struggling through all of this is that blows my mind. Here's this beautiful story. Hey, I'll go with you because of my grace. And then Adrian Rogers like, if you want God's presence, if you want him to be with you, you have to do things. It's amazing that preaching, that the church can take a, a the message of grace and turn it into a burden of law. Too many times, the church and pastors takes a message of grace and turns it into a burden of law. We place a burden on people's backs, and in a sense, we crack the whip. Do this. Do this. Do this. Work harder. Come on. Come on. Come on. Do more quiet time. Come on. Read your Bible more. Come on. You're going to lose the presence of God. And literally use a text that where God is like, no, no, no. I'm going to do this because you found grace in my sight. Now, some people believe when the Bible speaks of people finding grace in the sight, they found it grace based off what they did. And I think that that's a horrible way to read it because that's not grace. 
That becomes a meritorious work. You did something, now God gives you grace. You're earning the grace. Well, then it's not grace. You're, you're getting what you owe. You're getting paid for what you did. That's not grace. That's not grace. Does that make sense? All right. Now, I know I know that took 16 minutes to... Re- but I, you know what? I don't even apologize. I don't even apologize for 16 minutes of kind of covering what we've already covered this morning because this needs to be repeated because I want you to see how egregious those messages we review. We did not quite realize, I think at the time, how bad those messages were. I was just trying to process, wait a minute, he's giving me the steps to get the glory back, but these steps occur in the text before Moses even God, or not the grace, let me me state this again. He was using the text before Moses' face even began to glow. He used the text before that to tell me how I'm supposed to get the glow back. Or if I said grace, I apologize. Which that to me was just a hermeneutical train wreck. But it turns out there was something far more sinister going on. Taking a text about God's grace, turning it into a story of our responsibility and our actions. Now, this fits in perfectly with our ongoing study of the proper distinction between law and grace. In fact, law and gospel. In fact, what's amazing is all of these different studies and all of these different series are all coming together. They're, They're interconnected. I hope you're seeing this. In some ways, it's awesome. In some ways, it may be hard to keep up with everything, but there's a lot going on here. We're studying the proper distinction between law and gospel, and we just took someone took a text that should have been a gospel text and turned it into a law-based text. Because once again, a passage about grace was turned into a burden of law. Now, that's all that we've been we've been working on that. But in the midst of all of that, remember a story was published. On November the 25th, at christianpost.com. I don't even remember. I, I think I may, may have been actually up here in the studio in the process of getting ready to review one of those sermons by Adrian Rogers when all of a sudden I noticed that the Christian Post had just posted an article entitled Five Things That Hinder the Presence of Christ. And I'm like, oh, this, so we've got practice the presence of Christ or practice the presence of God. And now we've got five things that will hinder the presence of Christ. I'm like, okay, there's a there's something happening here, right? I stumbled upon this podcast. Now Christian Post is posting an article. Everything's going, we've got to follow this. And so when it, whenever I keep getting like lots of different things covering the same thing, I, I just feel the need. I got to follow it wherever it may go. So we, in the last live broadcast in this series, Practice the Presence of God, We looked at the introduction to this article, Five Things That Hinder the Presence of Christ. My original goal was to just just fly through the intro and go, number one, here are the five things that supposedly hinder the presence of Christ, and then evaluate each claim. But we didn't make it that far because as soon as I started reading the intro live on the air, my mind was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This, This is coming from a book. This, this this concept comes from a book. Now, whenever I hear the presence of God, practice the presence of God or anything like that, I think of the famous book by Brother Lawrence known practicing, I think it's called Practicing the Presence of God, which I have in my Kindle. And I wanted to do an episode about that book because it's a very, very, very famous book in church history. 
but we can't get there because this intro doesn't go to Practice the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. It goes to a book by Andrew Murray. Listen carefully. Now, so we've already realized that Adrian Rogers takes Exodus 33 and 34, a passage about the presence of God going with Israel, and it's a God, it's based off God's grace. So it's a gospel passage, and he turned it into a law-based passage telling us what we should and shouldn't do. Now, that's bad. But then the Christian Post, they're going straight at, if you want the presence of God, it's based off what you do. You do this, you do that. If you do this the wrong way, you hinder the presence of God or you lose the presence of God. So here is how they started, all right? This is so important. Here's how they started. Most believers understand that God is everywhere. Now, we agree, omnipresent. But the Bible is also clear that the power and presence of Christ can fill the heart of a believer who completely surrenders to him. Now, according to this article from the Christian Post, right? Hey, if you want the power, and if you want the presence of Christ, if you want that power, if you want that presence, and we talked about this in the last episode, well, then all you have to do is you just have to completely surrender. That's their words. Completely surrender to him. I keep looking down, looking at the iPad, make sure I'm not misquoting it. Completely surrender to him. And the more I kept thinking about that and processing that, I'm like, this sounds like a book. This sounds like a book. And so I remembered, did a little looking, and I found myself looking at the copy of Absolute Surrender by Andrew Murray. Now, let's, before we do anything, let me just tell you, I think this is the most insane and ridiculous concept I've ever heard, that you can have the power and presence of Christ in you if you only completely surrender. If anyone thinks that they ever have or ever will completely surrender to God, you are self-deceived. To completely surrender, I'm assuming that means you would have to completely surrender your sinful nature, which would in a roundabout way be like the eradication of the old nature. So already, that's insane. Number two, um, not only would you have to get rid of the old nature, how would you measure that you're completely surrendered? And if you're completely surrendered, this would be, so number one, you'd have to completely surrender the old nature. So that'd be the eradication of the old nature. That would be a major problem. Number two, how do you measure it? And number three, if you are true, if you completely surrender and now you have the power and presence of Christ, then the only logical conclusion would be that you're basically going to be sinless. So this is major problematic. But I have a copy of Absolute Surrender by Andrew Murray. And because I believe that that opening comment in the article from the Christian Post was greatly inspired by this, at some point we may start a series on the book Absolute Surrender by Andrew Murray. I got a couple of emails from some listeners who found a copy for themselves and they're reading it currently and they're going to tell me what they think. But I thought we would at least look at some of this for this episode. At least look at I want to get to that article from the Christian Post because I want to know what they claim will hinder the presence of God in my life, right? Clearly, they've already given us the first one, even though they don't have it listed in that five, but it's obvious. You don't completely surrender to Christ. You don't get the power and presence of Christ. You've got to completely surrender, completely. So absolute surrender must be required, according to them. 
So let's just look at a little bit at this book from Andrew Murray. Absolute Surrender by Andrew Murray. I do not know when this was originally written. I wish I did. Um, I wish I did, but I do not. I wish I knew the date. I could look it up really quick. Hang on. Let me just look it up. It will only take a second. It will only take a second. All right. Here we go. Let's look up. Absolute surrender. We can get a date here. We can get a date. All right. If I can get my thing to work here. Absolute surrender. Andrew Murray. When was this book originally written? When was this book? It looks like 1895. 1895. All right. 1895 is when it was originally written. 1895. And I guess it's a collection of sermons. So the sermons, so the book was published in 1895. The sermons would have been preached prior to 1895. So somewhere in the 1800s, a number of sermons were preached dealing with surrender that were compiled together in a book called Absolute Surrender by Andrew Murray. And I believe this concept has infiltrated the minds. Now, now one person emailed me and they believe that this concept their theory, their thesis was, their hypothesis was that this is something that greatly influenced the charismatic world. Like this was straight up charismatic theology, this absolute surrender concept. I, 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 I look, I, I, I can't stand charismatic theology. I, I despise it. I loathe it. I hate charismatic theology with every ounce of my being. I, I loathe it. Okay. Not, not the people, the theology, the doctrine, the teaching, and what that teaching is. For the people, I wish and pray that they could they could see the the failure of that theology and abandon it in the the apostasy of it and run for, for their lives, run for their lives. Okay, so but I I hate the theology. I I don't know how much Andrew Murray's concept of absolute surrender has shown up in the charismatic world. I think it definitely is there. But I believe in some ways the concepts is still has shown up in all forms of Christianity to some level. Because this idea of absolute surrender, I know why I remember hearing it in the independent fundamental Baptist world. I know I heard it there multiple times uh, in some way. Uh, it says, okay, someone just said, oh, ab- uh, absolute surrender concept is probably the main way I would des- describe this, this teaching I was under. That person is 100% correct. Okay, so that this, so here's someone who was within the charismatic world who is saying, yes, this, this teaching is right there, all right? Uh, and it says, speaking of the basic concept of the book, the basic concept of the book was very much a part of their charismatic experience. This is someone who's no longer in the charismatic world, but was. And so, uh, so I, I'm going to say that, that, that a lot of you guys are definitely on to something there. It seems like now we're getting multiple people from from who have had some experience in that world saying yep it it that's where it was i believe it's it's i believe it infiltrated spread like a virus and it's there everywhere i mean it's right there in the christian post hey you want to experience the power and presence of christ boom absolute surrender absolute surrender you don't absolute surrender, you don't have the power and presence of Christ. Now, that, that, that author there from the Christian Post may come from a charismatic world, but the Christian Post is a pretty just standard Christian website, right? 
It's not like Charisma News. I mean, it's right there. It's just right there. I, I So I think that it represents at least to a certain degree kind of mainstream evangelical thinking. And I believe that absolute surrender is present. So let's just read a little bit here from the... We're just going to... Well, we're not. we definitely can't read all of this. We're going to work through some of this. We're just going to work through a little bit of this so that we get an idea of what Andrew Murray had in mind, okay? Um, I, I've debated my, with myself how much of this to read, because and maybe this will turn into a series on the book, but I, I just think it, I think at some point, I think there's only so much of this book you need to read before you're like, this is insane. This is, this is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I, think there, I don't think you have to go very far, and you're like, this, no, 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 no. This is crazy. This is, I, at least that's my feel. I mean, just reading the Christian post saying, hey, you can have the power and presence of Christ if you only absolutely surrender. Who in their right mind thinks that they've ever absolutely surrendered? It would require the complete eradication of the old nature. So, I mean, I don't understand. Sometimes I think Christians talk as if the sinful nature completely disappears at salvation. It's, it's just insane. But all right, let's, let's try to go through this, all right? This book begins, Absolute Surrender. If you, if you can find a copy of it online, you can get it cheap for your Kindle. Most public libraries may have a copy. You can find it, all right? They, the book begins with a quote from 1 Kings chapter 20, verses 1 through 4. Oh, boy. All right, so they're going to run to a historical narrative, I guess, to build their entire... Now, the fact that the book starts with a, pa- a passage from 1 Kings chapter 20, verses 1 through 4, I'm guessing that this is now becomes the basis for the entire doctrinal system. I could be wrong, but that's what, that's at least the impression I would get. But like, if I'm going to open the book and I'm going to start with a scripture, then this is, seems to be the key scripture I'm basing my thesis on. That's at least the way I would read it. I could be wrong, but that's the way I would read it. And if any of you have read Absolute Surrender and you are an expert on it, please correct me anytime you need to. But here we go. And Ben Haydad, the king of Syria gathered all his hosts together, and there were thirty and two kings with him, and horses and chariots. And he went up and besieged Samaria, and warred against it. And he sent messengers to Ahab, king of Israel, into the city, and said unto him, Thus saith Ben Hadad, Thy silver and thy gold is mine, thy wives also, and thy children, and even the goodliest are mine. And the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, O king, according to thy saying, I am thine and all that I have. Now, this is just bizarre. (laughs) This is just bizarre to me that the book starts with this. Oh, man. I've got so many questions. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Okay, now, oh man, I'm telling you, there's so many twists and turns, right? So plot twist number one, Adrian Rogers took a passage that's really about God's grace and turned it into our responsibility. Plot twist number two, the Christian post is going to give me the things that I can do that can hinder the presence of Christ, the presence of God, and without even trying they're basically are telling me, well, you can't even get it without uh, unless you completely surrender, which then leads us to the book by Andrew Murray. You see how this is taking so many twists and turns? 
and at great listening to the Theology Central podcast because you have no clue where we're going because I never have any clue where we're going. But it's fun, right? Okay. But some people are like, man, no, it's not fun. I, I, need it, I need it to be more laid out. No, you don't. You, this is more fun. Remember, we have to be tossed to and fro before we can stop being tossed to and fro. So we, we've got to be, we got to get tossed back and forth through all of this until we f- can figure it out. But I don't know to you, if, if you were writing a book about absolute surrender to God, would you start with 1 Kings chapter 20, verses 1 through 4? <laughs> uh, it's just bizarre, all right? So Ben Hadad makes the threat, hey, I'm coming for everything. I'm going to take everything. And then Ahab is like, hey, my Lord, O king, according to your saying, I am thine and all that I have. And then this is what Andrew Murray writes, and I quote from Absolute Surrender. This is literally like page one. Ahab gave what was asked of him by Ben-Hadad. Absolute surrender. I want to use these words, my Lord, O king, according to thy saying, I am thine and all that I have, as the words of absolute surrender with which every child of God ought to yield himself to his father. He literally is taking, oh my, okay, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to stand up for a minute and walk around the room. Okay, you just sit there. I got to, I got to breathe. Okay, all right, I got to walk around. All right, okay, I have to do some jumping jacks here. I may need to do some push-ups. Okay, all right, I got, I got, I got to prepare myself for this. Okay, I got to wrap my mind around this. So, Andrew Murray <laughs> is taking the words that Ahab said to King, King Ben-Hadad, and he's going to take those words and say, these are the words that every child of God should basically say and live out in relationship to God. He's taking something that is clearly a historical narrative that's describing what happens And then from that, he's taking, saying, this prescribes the attitude you should have towards God. What in the world is happening? Now, you know what makes me mad? This makes me very mad. When I was a brand new Christian, young Christian, I would have read that and been like, oh. I can use this for a devotional. I can use this for a Bible study. I could use this if I if I get a chance to teach anybody. And I I would have I would have thought it was the greatest thing in the world because I wouldn't have known any better. I'd be like, who who would who would take that text and use it for that? Because at that point I didn't understand anything about hermeneutics, and I don't know using the text for what it's actually designed for instead of creating a sermon. Okay, but let's see what he goes on to say here. I got to read this again. I got to, I don't know. Everyone out, nobody in the chat seems to be blown away. Everyone seems to be like, this is no big deal. I think everyone else is just like, what's the big deal? For me, I'm about, I'm about to have a heart attack. I'm about to hyperventilate. What in the world is happening here? Okay. So Ahab gave what was asked of him by Ben-Hadad, absolute surrender. I want to use those words. This is according to Andrew Murray, not me. I want to use those words, my Lord, O king, according to thy saying, I'm thine and all that I have as the words of absolute surrender with every child of God, with with which every child of God ought to yield himself to his father. We've heard it before, but we need to hear it very definitely. The condition of God's blessing 
is absolute surrender of all into his hands. This is, I'm telling you, whoever wrote the article for the Christian Post, I am telling you, they have a copy of absolute surrender somewhere on their desk. Literally, they took, I don't know, I, 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 oh man. Literally, I, I, I am convinced that they, they read Absolute Surrender and then wrote an article for the Christian Post. It's, that's what it completely seems. But I want you to hear that again. So the condition for blessing, the condition for blessing. Okay. Oh, boy. All right. If you listen to us on Sunday, right, as we work through the concepts of law and gospel, um, because we've been working on that at church. We got into a very important discussion about these passages of blessing where blessed is the man, blessed is the man, which seems to give these conditions. Blessed is the man if you do this and this and this. Blessed is the man if you do this and this and this. Like the Beatitudes, blessed if you do this, blessed if you do, bless, bless Psalm chapter one, blessed if you do this and do this. Now, if anyone is even halfway honest with themselves, they would look at that and go, well, I'm never going to be blessed because I'm never going to do this any way close to the way I'm supposed to. And a roundabout way, those blessings is giving you law. It's giving you a blessing that requires obedience to a law, which means you are actually not blessed by that. You are condemned by that. But in Christ Jesus, you get those blessings because for everything Psalm 1 calls for and everything that Jesus calls for in the Beatitudes, he himself fulfills for me. So in Christ I am blessed with all spiritual blessings. Andrew Murray's like, no, 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 no. That's not the way it works. Blessing requires your, an action on your part, something you must do. If you want God's blessing, no, you don't, you don't rely on what Christ does for you to give you those blessings. You have to get those blessings by your action. And what action the condition of God's blessing is absolute surrender of all into his hands. So the only way you will ever be blessed is you have to surrender everything. Adrian Rogers was going the same, same direction, and the Christian Post was going the same direction. If you want the blessing of God's presence, you must do this, 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 and you must not do this, 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 this. Andrew Murray and the absolute surrender. If you want God's blessing, you must absolutely surrender. I, I don't even know how you can believe this for three. You have to deny the presence of the sinful nature. You have to just say the sinful nature has been completely eradicated. They go, he goes on to say, praise God. If our hearts are willing for that, if our hearts are willing for absolute surrender, there is no end to what God will do for us and the blessings God will bestow. If you can just, if your heart will just will it, if you'll just desire absolute surrender, you won't even begin to imagine what God can do. Your blessings will overflow. There'll be power. There'll be blessings. It will be amazing. But if it doesn't happen, Take the whip. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. You didn't surrender. Oh, man, this is crazy stuff. Absolute surrender. Let me tell you 
where I got those words. Right now, here, now here, Andrew Murray's getting ready to give us some insight. We're gonna get, we're gonna get a, we're gonna pull back the curtain and go, okay, Andrew Murray, how, how did we get here? How did we get here? All right. Let me tell you where I got these words. I use them myself often, and you have heard them numerous times. But once in Scotland, I was in company where we were talking about the condition of Christ's church and what the great need of the church and of the believers is. There, there was in our company a godly Christian worker who has much to do in training other workers for Christ. And I asked him what he would say was the great need of the church, the message that ought to be preached. He answered very quietly and simply and determinately, all right? Uh, okay, okay. All right, someone's saying something. I'm, I'm trying to read too many things. So, all right, I'm gonna, someone just made a great comment. I'll read the comment in a minute, but I'm going to finish this. So, he's in a, so Andrew Murray was in a great company of godly Christians, uh, or, or, or in a company of a godly Christian worker, I should say, who has much to do in the training of other workers for Christ. This would have been in the 1800s at some point. And I asked him what he would say was the great need of the church. The message that ought to be preached, he answered in a very quiet and simple way, very very determined. Here we go. And I quote, absolute surrender to God is the one thing. So what does the church need? Church doesn't need the gospel. The church needs to know absolute surrender. Absolutely surrender. That sounds good. I like in my younger Christian days, I would have gotten behind. We need to surrender. We need to do more. Come on. What is wrong with you people? Read your Bible more. Go to church more. Listen to sermons more. Pray more. Come on. What is wrong with you? You people aren't committed. You're a joke. That, that, I would have went after it like that very much in my early Christian life. Someone says, I don't think you necessarily think it through. Okay. This is important. Okay, good. This person, the person's quoting, uh, I'm quoting here in the chat. They're very, they're very helpful to me because they're come from a charismatic world. And I don't even understand that world like that. I look at the charismatic world and I'm like, what is that? What is that over there? It's like a cow looking at a new gate. You know, have you ever seen a cows when they put up a new gate, all the cows are just standing there looking like, what is that thing? I don't know. What is that? And I'm just like looking at it like, what is that? Wait, that they call that Christianity. What, what? What is that? It, it's cocoa for Cocoa Puffs. That's insanity. I don't know what that is, but it's not Christianity. And I just want to walk around it. Like, I don't know what that is. It's some, uh, it's some weird mutated, I don't know. I don't know what it is. But for those who come out of it, they, they sometimes can help me understand like what in the world I'm looking at. Cause I'm just looking at like, like, like nobody can take that seriously. Nobody, nobody who can take that seriously. Nobody. But people get in it, and it's, it blows my mind. So they're saying you don't actually necessarily think it through. Um, you don't. Or, I'm sorry. I don't think you necessarily think it through to know more sin nature. In other words, they say you never even process that. You don't even get to wait. Wait a minute. This would require no more sin nature. Instead, it becomes an emotional uh, based try, 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 try. That's very well said. 
say, I don't even know why I have a microphone. I should just quit. I should just give, because I'm telling you, other people could do this job better than me. Okay, I just talk a lot. All right, but I think that's true. I think that I can, I can kind of understand it. it. It bypasses the thinking and it just goes to, I've got to try. I want, I want to please God. I want his power. I want his blessing. I want his presence. And then you try and you try and you try. And at some point you either have to convince yourself you're doing it or you find yourself broken and despair, discouraged, filled with anxiety and worry, and you're wanting to just basically give up. I, I think that's really your two. You either live in self-denial and deception, or you come to a stark reality, this, this is not working for me. I'm, I'm falling every single day. All right, I'm going to open up the Spreaker app really quick. So if, if they add any more comments here, I will not miss them because... I want to see what they're having to say. All right. Now, let's go back to the book. All right. So what the church needs, according to Andrew Murray, when he had this conversation, is absolute surrender. Now, I think there's a lot of Christians today who still think that. Look, this is very important. This is something we we could do a podcast episode on because I think it's very important. And almost every generation, every decade, uh, you can you can figure out the the year the the time period. But in every in every every so many years, I don't know exactly how many ten years, twenty years, thirty years, whatever the case may be, and, and every generation, maybe that's the right way to say it. Everyone always realizes the church has serious problems. I don't all the way, going all the way back to the church of Corinth. Paul realized the church of Corinth had problems. He realized the church at Galatia had problems. I mean, the, the church always has problems. And every generation, the church always has problems. That's always a reality. I don't care the generation. I don't care if it's the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s, the 2020s. The church has always has problems because the church will always be made up of sinners. So there's always going to be problems. But in every generation, someone always comes along going, this is what will fix the church. This is what the church needs. This is what it is, right? And if I go through my life of being a Christian, I have seen so many of these solutions. Okay, here's the problem. People, I think this easy believism, what they need is lordship salvation. They need to know unless they do this and this and this, they were never saved. Here's the test. We're going to fix it. Okay, well, okay. Lo and behold, it never fixes the problem. No, 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 no. What we need, what we need, the church needs. The church needs to be more seeker sensitive. It needs to be more seeker friendly. So we need to adopt the principles of the world. No, what we need is better worship teams and stage lighting. No, what we need is purpose driven. No, what we need is the emergent church. Every There's always someone coming along going, this is what the church needs. And what you'll notice is what's interesting is we always try to come up with the next new gimmick, the next new idea, the next new doctrine, the next new something to fix it. And it seems like, I don't. when is the church ever going to go back that what we need is a proper understanding of law and then a proper understanding of of gospel. We just need to get back to an understanding of God's law and God's gospel. Maybe, maybe if we ever got back to that, it would be, who knows? Who knows? But I, I just find it interesting that everyone's always got their idea. But let's go back to the book. All right. So oh, we're at 47 minutes. Oh, man. There's so much to this 
winding road that we're on, but okay. So according to Andrew Murray, so he figured out that absolute surrender is the one thing. Now, please note, he did not get these words from scripture. He got these words from someone. Now, let's see if he's going to find them in scripture. So far, all he's given us is the words of Ahab to uh, King uh, Ben-Hadad, all right? <laughs> and it's not even about us or about God or about any of this. So it's just amazing, all right? But here we go. This is what Andrew Murray, Andrew Murray goes on to say. The word struck me as never before. And that man began to tell how, and the Christian workers with whom he had to deal, he finds that if they are sound on that point, they're willing to be taught and helped. And they always improve. Where Now, here, I see, this is where I, I would already be raising my hand if I was listening to this sermon and Andrew Murray was preaching, or I'd wait till after the sermon. I'm like, okay, Andrew Murray, let me make sure I understand this. So people who have absolutely surrendered can improve? If you have absolutely surrendered, how can you, the ones who improve are absolutely surrendered. If you've already absolutely perfectly surrendered, how is there any improvement left to have? You're completely surrendered to God. Now you're filled with his power and his presence and you have all of his blessings. What can you improve on? But okay, I digress. Whereas others who are not sound there very often go back and leave the work. The condition for obtaining God's full blessing is absolute surrender to him. And oh, sometimes, you know what makes me so sad? Oh, I mean, not just sad. It makes me angry. It almost makes me sick. It like literally makes me like, I feel like I need to lay down. And I know that it sounds overdramatic and that I'm being hyperbolic, but I'm not. It's when I'm reading theology or like anything from a, any Christian books on a Kindle whether it's theology, whether it's a book like this, I don't care. And do you know why it, it bothers me so much on a Kindle to read those books? Does anybody know? Why? What, 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 what would make me almost like sick to read a book on a Kindle like this? Does anybody know? Well, on whenever you leave, highlight anything in a, in a Kindle book, you highlight it, it, it saves it, right? So that whenever you're reading the book, you can see all the other comments that other people have highlighted, all the other sections that other people have highlighted. Well, guess what? In my copy here of the, on the Kindle, guess which, guess which is highlighted, right? Someone says you can't burn it. All right. That's, I don't burn books, okay? I don't burn books, all right? Don't do that, all right? Okay, I know they're joking. All right, here we go. But when in a Kindle, when you highlight it, it saves that highlight. So everyone else who reads the book, they see it. So guess what? A whole other people who've read this and, and some, I think in some copies, it will show you how many times it's been highlighted. It will give you the number. I don't want to click on it right now to try to get the number because I don't want to lose the page. But a lot of people or someone before me, guess what they highlighted? The condition for obtaining God's full blessing is absolute surrender to him. Someone read this book and highlighted that. Now, maybe they highlighted it because they realized how bad it was, but I bet you, I don't know how many people have highlighted it there. I'll have to look on my on my Kindle. I'm using the uh, Kindle app on my iPad. Um, my Kindle's downstairs charging, but it'll show you how many people have highlighted it. And sometimes I'm just like, I just want to get sick. I'm like, it'll be like two thousand highlights. I'm like, two thousand people highlighted that. I am hoping they highlighted it because they realized how bad it was. But I know that there's some Christian. Maybe it's a maybe it's a wife, a mom. She's trying to live out her Christian life to the best of her ability. And someone said, you need to read Absolute Surrender. And, 
And she said, thank you so very much. And she got, she got a copy. She's reading the book and all of a sudden she realizes, man, the way to get God's full blessing is I just have to absolutely surrender to him. Now, please know, she's a mom and she's a wife. She's got 50,000 responsibilities. But now she's like, okay, I got to surrender fully to God. I got to surrender fully to God. I got to surrender fully to God. Like she thinks, whoever highlighted that, there's a possibility that it's someone who, who thinks that they can somehow pull that off, that they can do that. Or maybe it's a young Christian and they're going to try to live their Christian life thinking. And again, it's either going to lead to delusion. They think that I've absolutely surrendered. They're going to pretend that they are, or it's going to lead to such disillusionment and discouragement that they're going to just want to give up on Christianity. They'll be on TikTok deconstructing. Next paragraph. And now I desire by God's grace to give you this message that your God in heaven answers the prayers which you have offered for blessing on yourself and for blessing on those around you by this one demand. Are you willing to surrender yourself absolutely into his hands? In other words, if you want God to answer your prayers, he will answer your prayers only if you will surrender yourself absolutely into his hands. What is our answer to be? God knows that there are hundreds of hearts who have said it, and there are hundreds more who long to say it, but hardly dare to do so. And there are hearts who have said it, but who have yet miserably failed and who feel themselves condemned because they did not find the secret of the power to live that life. May God have a word for them all. So some, see, some want to do this, but they keep failing. Well, why do they keep failing? I don't know. We're going to find out. All right. So number one, it says, let me, first of all, let me say, first of all, that God claims it from us. God expects your surrender. They go on to say, yes, it has its foundation in the very nature of God. God cannot do otherwise. Who is God? He is the fountain of life, the only source of existence and power and goodness. Throughout, uh, throughout the universe, there is nothing good but what, but what God works. God has created the sun, the moon, the stars, the flowers, the trees, and the grass. Are they not all absolutely surrendered to God? Do they not allow God to work in them just as just what he pleases? When God clothes the lily, with its beauty, is it not yielded up, surrendered, given over to God as his works in it is beauty? And God's redeemed children. Oh, can you think uh, that God can do his work if there is only half of a part of them surrendered? Now, now wait a minute, we got to work through this. So all of nature is just supposedly naturally surrendered to God. But when it comes to us redeemed children, we're not naturally uh, surrendered to God. So we have to do it. Nature doesn't have to do it, but we have to do it. I'm assuming, or is he going to tell us God does it for us, which is going to raise a millions of other problems. But okay, let's see where he goes on with this, all right? He says, here we go. Can you think that God can do his work if there is only half or part of them surrendered? God can not do it. God cannot do his work if you're only partly surrendered. You, God cannot. God is stopped by your lack of surrender. The, the omnipotent sovereign God is stopped because you won't surrender. God cannot do it. God is life, love, blessing, power, infinite beauty, and God delights in communicating himself to every child who is prepared to receive him. But ah, oh, 
This one lack of absolute surrender is just the thing that hinders God. And now he comes and as God, he claims it. You know, in daily life, what absolute surrender is, you know that everything has to be given up to its special, special, definite object and service. I have a pen in my pocket and that pen is absolutely surrendered to the one work of writing. That pen must be absolute surrendered to my hand if I'm to write properly with it. If another holds it partly, I cannot write properly. The coat is absolutely given to covering my body. This building is entirely given up to religious services. And now, do you expect that in your immortal being, in the divine nature that you have received by regeneration, God can work his work every day and every hour unless you are entirely given up to him? God cannot. The temple of Solomon was absolutely surrendered to God when it was dedicated to him. And every one of us is a temple of God in which God will dwell and work mightily on one condition. Absolute surrender to him. God claims it. God is worthy of it. And without it, God cannot work. Wow. So he uses all these other objects. Hey, here's a pencil. It's great because it's absolutely surrendered to my hand. But if someone else comes along, then it's not going to work properly. Well, here I am. I'm regenerate. I'm saved. But God can't work in me unless I absolutely surrender myself to or, or unless I'm absolutely surrendered. Oh, that raises so many questions. So many questions. Uh, this, to me, creates the sovereignty of man over the sovereignty of God. But all right, let's, let's at least read the next part. Because he's going to claim that God is the one who accomplishes the surrender. Now, if God is the one who accomplishes the surrender, well, then I don't know why you would say God cannot do something if, unless we're surrendered if God is the one who accomplishes it. If God, if God is the one who accomplishes it, then every believer should be completely surrendered because God is the one who does it. So I don't know how he's going to work this. On one end, he says, look, God can't work until you're absolutely surrendered. And now he's going to tell me God is the one who brings that about. But I'm assuming there's going to be a way we can stop God from bringing it about. Let's see what they have to say here. All right, here we go. Back to Andrew Murray, absolute surrender. I am sure there is many a heart that says, oh, but that absolute surrender implies so much. Someone says, oh, I have passed through so much trial and suffering. There is so much of the self-life still remaining. I dare not face entirely giving it up because I know it will cause so much trouble and agony. Alas, alas, that God's children have such thoughts of him, such cruel thoughts. I come with a message to those who are fearful and anxious. God does not ask you to give the perfect surrender in your strength or by the power of your will. God is willing to work in you. Do we not read, it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure? And that is what we should seek, to go on our face before God until our hearts learn to believe that the everlasting God himself will come to turn out what is wrong. He will conquer what is evil and work what is well-pleasing in his blessed sight. God himself will work it in you. All right, so, so God is the one supposedly who will do this. All you've got to do is seek it. You just seek it. You see, I'm seeking it. I'm seeking it. I'm seeking Boom. That's it. God just did it. I have absolute surrender. (sighs) 
Now, if God is the one doing the work of absolute surrender, then whenever it happens, it should be absolute, it should be perfect, it should be exact, it should be entire, it should be perfect, and it should be perpetual. But clearly, it doesn't work that way. He says, look at the men in the Old Testament, like Abraham. Do you think it was by accident that God found that man, the father of the faithful and the friend of God? Do you think that it was Abraham himself, apart from God, who had such faith and such obedience and such devotion? You know it is not so. God raised him up and prepared him as an instrument for his glory. Did God not say to Pharaoh, for this cause I've raised thee up for to show in thee my power? And if God said that of him, will God not say it far more of every child of his? Oh, I want to encourage you, and I want you to cast away every fear. Come with the feeble desire. If there, if there is the fear which says, oh, my desire is not strong enough, I'm not willing for everything, I do not feel bold enough to say I can conquer everything. I implore you, learn to know and trust your God now. Say, my God, I am willing that you should make me willing. If there is anything holding you back or any sacrifice you are afraid of making, come to God now and prove how gracious your God is. Do not be afraid that he will command from you what he, uh, be not afraid that he will command from you what, uh, what he will not bestow. God comes and offers to work this absolute surrender in you. All the searchings and hungerings and longings that are in your heart, I tell you, they are the drawings of the divine magnet, Christ Jesus. He lived a life of absolute surrender. He has possession of you. He's living in your heart by his Holy Spirit. You have hindered and hindered him terribly, but he desires to help you get a hold of him entirely. And he comes and draws you now by this message and words. Will you not come to trust God to work in you that absolute surrender to himself? He can do it, and he will do it. There you go. So supposedly God is the one who does it. But, but you have to do something. You have to do something. You have to do something. And, and so, so it, this is just so maddening. All right, okay. God won't do anything until you're absolutely surrendered. But God is the one who has to make you absolutely surrendered. So you just come to God and say, I want to be absolutely surrendered, and God supposedly does it. But if it doesn't happen, it's still somehow your fault because you didn't obviously seek it enough. You didn't believe it enough. You didn't trust it enough. So in a roundabout way, this still comes back on you. Like we're, we're going to say God does it, but if it doesn't happen, it's because it's your fault. So it's still like, you got you to gotta work to be, come on, seek it, seek it, seek it, beg for it, plead for it, pray for it. Come on, come on, come on. What is wrong with you? Believe it. Come on. What is wrong with you? Come on, get it. And then once you get it, then I guess, I don't know what happens. Then I guess you're completely and absolutely surrendered to God. So the problem with Christians, the reason Christians continue to sin, continue to struggle, the reason we have all these problems is because we didn't supposedly surrender enough. And, 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 well, we didn't seek surrender enough because God would have given us perfect surrender. And once we get perfect surrender, then guess what? Now we get the presence of God. Now we get to feel it. Now we get to experience it. Adrian Rogers would say, we get the glow back. The Christian post, you now get the power and presence of God. So you've got you to gotta realize that the only thing that was going to make your Christian life work is complete surrender. And the only way to get it is got to beg, plead, and seek God and believe. And then if you'll do that, God will do it for you. And then now you have complete surrender, which then 
I don't know there. I mean, look, I, you can't say that complete surrender is not basically sinless perfection because the minute you sin, you're not in complete surrender. You need to understand that. The second you sin, that's not complete surrender. That's rebellion. All Every sin is rebellion against God. Every sin is a transgression of God's law. Every sin, you're falling short. So you clearly, every time you sin, you're not completely surrendered. So even if you think you're completely surrendered, the minute you sin in thought, word, and deed, and what you say and what you do and what you desire, then you're not completely surrendered. So therefore, whatever surrender you can experience, you're going to lose it in 2.3 seconds. Or you're going to demonstrate that you're never absolutely surrendered. This is a, this is crazy. So the Christian post is saying the only way you can get the presence of God, to feel it and understand it and live in it, <laughs> is complete surrender. Now, that don't even bother to tell you in the Christian post how to get it. At least the Andrew Murray book tells you how you're supposed to get it. But please note, his entire premise is based off a scripture that has nothing to do with us, nothing to do with us surrendering to God. It's about Ahab supposedly surrendering to Ben-Hadad. Number two, it's based off a word some Christian leader said, and no scripture was given. All right, it, it, it's, someone said, it's like you can feel the conflict inside, but you can't put words to it like you. Well, I'm not putting words to it. I, I, I can't even put words to it. I don't even understand it. It's just so like, how does this supposed to work? I mean, which Christian out there would not want to be completely surrendered to God? Which I, Find me a Christian like, I don't want to be surrendered to God. Nope, nope. I wish I could be surrendered to God. I, I talked about that this time of year stresses me out. It's November the 28th, and I start, start having all kinds of anxiety, like all kinds of anxiety. It's just start like, I start losing my mind. It's like I start slowly unraveling. And by the time I get to the end of December, I'm just a broken mess, right? Because all I can think about, it's November the 28th. What have I done for God this year? How have I grown spiritually? What did I even do? What did all the sermons I preached, did they accomplish anything? What did all my podcasts do? All the Bible study I've done. What, did, I, did I become, did I grow spiritually? Did I become any more God? All I can say is I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. So I, I, I want to be more. So then I'll start like, okay, in 2023, I'm going to do this. 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 I'm going to be more surrendered. Well, you know what? I never am surrendered enough. I continue to sin. I always fall short. I'm never what I'm supposed to be. I'm never in what I desire to be. But if I really believe that the secret was, I just got to get that surrender. God will do it for me. I just got to get it. I got to get it. I got to get it. It's like, it's like basically Andrew Murray is telling you the secret to everything is absolute surrender. God will give it to you, but you got to find it. You got to get, you got to, you got to put yourself in a situation where God will give it to you. It's like giving you a map to a hidden treasure that you're never going to find. No matter how much you beg, no matter how much you plead, no how much you seek. Because the Christian life is one lived with this reality. You have a sinful nature, you will sin in thought, word, and deed by what you do and don't do. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you're sinning in some way. And I know immediately... Someone's going to be like, that's not true. I'll give you one scripture. Be ye holy as God is holy. Boom. 
you fell that 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You will never be holy. The only way you can ever fulfill that scripture is in Christ. The only way, if absolute surrender is is demanded, I am absolutely surrendered in Christ because Christ was absolutely surrendered, if you want to use that language. But in practice, no. So practicing the presence of God, it seems people are going to go with the idea. We, in a sense, we can't practice it. We can't experience it until we are completely surrendered. And that comes from Andrew Murray's book, Absolute Surrender. Now, I'm not, we're not going to start a series on the book. I just wanted, there's just no way I can continue with the Christian Post article until we clearly address the source of it. The source of it was, even though they don't say that it's from Andrew Murray, it's from Andrew, it's from that book. I guarantee you it's from that book. Their introduction is just screaming at me. I read Andrew Murray's book, Absolute Surrender. All right. I'm telling you, that's why the more you know about church history, the minute you can detect its influence on the present. I mean, I, it only took me seconds to read that intro. I'm like, that's, that's, that's Andrew Murray. That's Andrew. I'm telling you, it's Andrew Murray. It's right there. I thought they would go with Practice the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. I, that's where I thought, that's the famous book on the subject. All right. Yeah. Someone may say, well, what, what's, what's the answer? The answer is Christ. The answer is what you have in him. That's the answer. This is just, it's crazy. This has taken such a wild turn. You want the presence of God? It's only going to be because of his grace. Moses and Exodus 33. Remember, this all started because of Adrian Rogers' total destruction of, of Exodus 33. Moses is like, Lord, we need you to go with us. And God's like, I can't go with you because you're a stiff-necked people. Well, Lord, I found grace in your sight, right? Remember these people. And he's like, I will go with you because of grace. My whole Christian life is not based on what I can do, but based on what Christ has done for me because we have found grace in the sight of God because of Christ Jesus. I wish we could reach some level of absolute surrender. We can't in practice. We can't in our position because it's been done for us. All right. You can email me your thoughts about all of this. Adrian, the Adrian Rogers sermon, the article from Christian Post, and Andrew Murray's book on uh, complete surrender, our absolute surrender, I should say. You can give me all your thoughts. All right. We're an hour and nine minutes, so I have to stop. I did. Yeah. We didn't even scratch the surface to all the things we need to. You see all the twists and turns in this? It's been fascinating. It's been fascinating, and I've, I've enjoyed following these twists and turns. I never knew. I, I made a joke on the Discord channel today that you know your life took a wrong turn when you find yourself sitting there looking at the book Absolute Surrender by Andrew Murray. You know you've taken a wrong turn. I, and I, I never, when this all started, I thought, oh, I'll just review a little podcast episode. It'll be simple. It'll be fun. And now it's turned into an entire series, but... Um, Hopefully, it will benefit someone. All right. Thanks for listening. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. The podcast episode ends now, but as always, there's so much more to say, but that's the wonderful thing. I'll be back up here. Trust me, this evening, maybe even shortly, we'll talk about more. I got to charge my iPad because it's about to die, but but we will uh, we'll be talking more later this evening, so Make sure you tune in for that. Thanks for listening. God bless.